Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Coach Justin Groth. He's the owner of Fitness Extraordinaire down in California and host of the Straight from the Chest Podcast. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Yeah, I'm super excited to dive into all things personal development today and maybe a little bit of training also, but why don't you kick us off with just a little bit of a story of how you got to where you are today and what makes you so passionate about what you do? Um, well, I'll, I'll do a brief uh, overview of how I got here because it's quite a long story, but um, initially I wasn't really into lifting when I was younger in high school and college. Um, I... I I got into lifting at an early age around, I would say 19, uh, because of an identity issue. I, I didn't like most people when we're, we're trying to, uh, when we, I guess, get out of high school or even in high school, we, we find that we don't really know who we are yet. And we try to, we try to course our life by, you know, fixating on somebody who we think is, you know, has it all, or we think has it all together. And we lose ourselves in the process. And so <clears throat> without delving too much into the identity issue, I didn't really understand what I who I was and what I wanted and 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 just just that overall. So I ended up first trying to fix the physical representation of me, which was I wasn't happy with. And like most of us, we want to try to fix our looks and we want to try to fix what we think we should be, <laughs> you know? And so in that attempt, I, uh, I wanted to get, I wanted to get leaner or I wanted to get, I wanted to lose weight. And just for your audience's, uh, understanding, I was about 165, 170 and I'm 5'11". So that's roughly an average weight. I wasn't fat. I wasn't too skinny. Um, I was just right in the middle, but I had these chubby cheeks and I didn't like my chubby cheeks. And so I thought the only way I'm going to get these chubby cheeks to be not so chubby anymore is if I just lose weight. Right. So I didn't know how to go about this. So I just started doing what I knew best, which was not eating and doing a lot of cardio. So I, I would ride my, uh, ride a skateboard, ride a bike. I would run, I would walk and I would just eat like one meal a day. And this one meal was not even that calorically dense. I mean, it was like a sandwich and some pita chips and an apple. You know, so, and then the rest of my, the day I would starve myself by, or not starve myself, but I would curb my cravings rather by drinking Diet Coke or eating vegetables or something like that. I had no idea what I was doing clearly. And so, uh, fast forward about a few months into this, I started to get really, really skinny and I lost uh, a quite considerable amount of muscle mass. And I just, I was looking unhealthy. So I told my family, I said, look, I have... I have an addictive mindset and if I do something, I'm going to keep doing it, doing it, doing it. And I knew that I wasn't going to recourse myself on my own accord. So I told my family, look, I need some professional help here. And, and so we, we enlisted a dietitian. I got on with my mother's personal trainer at the time. She gave me this, uh, you know, three day a week split. And of course she, she did it with me in the beginning 
And then that kind of opened up the door for fitness that I didn't understand even existed. Uh, I mean, I understand fitness was there, but I didn't, I didn't partake in it. And so when I started to partake in, I was like, I love this shit. And so I ended up doing that and then doing that more avidly. And then I started getting supplementation, started getting into uh, more of a bodybuilding style approach of eating where I eat five, six small meals a day. And I started to just become addicted to that now. And then my body weight started to climb up. My physique started to transform. I started to build my own identity, which I was looking for this entire time. So just to run it full circle. Now, the the, the pathway that bodybuilding showed me was one of organization, structure, discipline, consistency. And I ended up taking it to a competitive level and competed in numerous competitions and Really, I did it all naturally as well. I My comp- competition was not natural. I competed against guys that were uh, in a federation called the NPC. And uh, these guys weren't obviously the natural uh, guys. But the, the my where I'm located from is Central Coast. So uh, be like, like we had initially mentioned in the beginning of the podcast uh, off camera between San Francisco and L.A., now, all the shows of the NPC were in L.A. or San Francisco, and I didn't want to travel to the Midwest, which is where all the natural shows were at the time when I was competing. And so I just stayed local and I just took my chances against guys that were enhanced. And I just um, be for for proximity's sake. And I was blessed to do real well. And uh, that was a that the competitive day showed me that I had something more. I had I, I I revealed these things about my mental space that I didn't understand. I had like the work ethic, like the discipline, like the consistency. And these things opened up new doors for me in terms of opportunity. And it eventually grew into a business for personal training because I realized that I loved helping people as well when they would come up to me and approach me in the gym, ask me questions about what I exercise I was doing or why I was doing it that way. And I just realized quickly, I love pouring into people. I love pouring in what I've learned and making them better in the process. So that that eventually led to a business and here I am. <laughs> That's amazing. I like how you knew deep down within that you had more to give or that you should strive for more without actually knowing who that person was. You said um, you didn't quite know what identity to you wanted to become. And I think often I do hear that with clients, whether in nutrition or in training, uh, in the sense of it starts out because of some extrinsic motivation, and then eventually it becomes their new identity. And that's, in my opinion, really the only way that we can maintain and sustain um our our results long term really um what i also wanted to point out and really highlight and i love is that you noticed yourself you were struggling especially at that age it sounded like at that point where you were doing a lot of cardio you were rather young it takes a lot for anyone to reach out and just acknowledge hey, I can't do that on my own. I just don't have the knowledge, really. What I'm doing is clearly not healthy or working. And I think sometimes we, um, we're we afraid to reach out because we think it shows weakness or um, it's it's 
like all the information seems to be out there, you know, you can just Google it or it might be a, a demonstration of um, basically not being able to follow through with your own things, but essentially reaching out and saying, hey, I need someone to teach me better, to guide me through this. I think that's really, really cool. Um, was that hard on an emotional or mental level to admit that to yourself? Um, yes and no. I mean, I've always been real and logical with myself, even though it hasn't been the thing that I've wanted to uh, contend with at the time. But I've always been that way. I think that's just the way I was raised and just a part of who I am in my uh, in terms of my wiring. But yeah, I mean, understanding that I wasn't going to fix this on my own unless it got really circumstances got very, very dire and which they were leading in that direction. I mean, I was clinically uh, I was clinically stated as anorexic, which was about one. I was about 136 at my lowest point. And that for a 5'11 guy, it's real, real, real skinny, real small. And so. I mean, yeah, I had a I had a few more pounds to go before I was looking deathly ill, but uh, it was it was on that trajectory. So, me reaching out, me telling my my family, my mom and my dad at the time, I said, "Look, you know, this is something that I need help with because I know my I know my I know my own mind. I know what's going to happen from here on out, and in, and I don't want to get to that point." So, um, it's just me being logical and rational with myself and realizing. Uh, my strengths and my weaknesses and a part of my weakness, but can be a strength as well. At the same time is my addiction. It just depends on where it's, where it's funneled. I think that's definitely the case for most people with an addictive uh, personality that it really just depends on the trajectory, how um, it's serving us or, or, or not essentially. And when you were talking about bodybuilding, installing a sense of discipline and um, structure within you. I couldn't help but think of the fact that I think military or things like that tend to do the same to people. Like when you're kind of feeling lost and you start something and you become a, you become part of a community, B, you have a regimented approach. Like with, for you, it was a set amount of meals, what to eat probably as well. It was probably a, maybe not macro-based and more meal plan-based, even um, of course a strict tra training schedule. And I think oftentimes when people hear structure, um, it's it has a negative connotation because it's kind of like mundane and boring, but ex exactly that is what most people need in order to find consistency and uh, their results. So I really just wanted to highlight that. And I think it's great that you're using all that prior knowledge to now help others um, fulfill their, their full potential as well. And one of the things I read on your, um, your social media was that you really want to help people create not just a bulletproof body through training, but also a bulletproof mind. I would love to know what, a, what exactly you mean by that or how you would define that as and then b of course um what sort of strategies you use in order to guide others there sure so bulletproof mind really doesn't come if you don't adopt a sense of hardness in your life to some level and you and and just for the mere fact that you won't really know what you're made of you won't know you're bulletproof if you don't indulge in hard things on your own will. And so 
most people today have a cushy life and they don't have a lot of contention with things apart from, you know, family members or spouses or, or maybe a relationship or uh, maybe they, they don't like their job or whatever. We don't really have the hard struggles that existed, you know, hundreds of years ago. And in, unless you're willing to impose certain threats on your person, you'll re never really understand what you could do in this life and what mental faculties actually exist within you. And these things are actually good things to be able to refine and cultivate in your life. And I say to everybody, start with working out if you don't do that yet. If you don't work out, start there. Start with imposed resistance training. Because if you don't do that, then you'll never really understand just at the first level what you could be. And that's what bodybuilding identified for me. I mean, I thank the high heavens for bodybuilding because it not not just the fact of it building a body. That's the that's the by default the ramifications that happen from the result of me training. But what it imputed to me during the process of me training was that oh shit, I had this un relentless work ethic. I have this consistency to me. I have this disciplined nature to me that I didn't know even existed before. And if it weren't for me wanting to, first trying to find my identity in life and then realizing I don't know what I'm doing, then going towards lifting as a means to, uh, you know, uh, I guess, counter what the negative effects were from me dieting super hard, I would have never found this pathway. And I probably would have done what every other human does in life, which is submit resumes to get a job, get a nine to five, work at nine to five, have a 401k, get retire, get security, et cetera, live off that. And that I don't I don't know that's exactly what I would have done, Lisa, but I mean, that's why would I have not gone down that path? Like, why did I go down this path? And then also, why do I have such a love for it? These things were only revealed to me when I started doing the the whole, you know, meathead thing by lifting weights. But it became something so much more than that in the process. And more people would understand other dormant elements to them that exist if they actually did things that maybe they didn't want to do, but it made them a better person. And these things don't look glamorous. They don't look flavorful. They don't look uh, illuminating, but sometimes they can be years down the line. They open up doors that you didn't even know existed for you. So you need, so in, so go to go back to the question, bulletproof your mind is nothing. I mean, there's multiple, there's really no hard definition for it. It's being better. And it's understanding that when hard times or situations come or, or imposed threats come, I mean, you know how to deal with them. You have a different perspective on the matter. You are able to circumvent them or even ameliorate them. You have an understanding that this isn't done to you, it's done for you. And when you have this, this, when you have this kind of a state of mind, then nothing can really hurt you. And if it does hurt you, I mean, it's that's at, at that point, it's even more of an opportunity to take to circumvent that situation and become and level up even more. And what do I say? I guess bulletproof your mind even stronger. I mean, we have to put on a, a set of armor every single day when we go on this world because this world's shit. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you can choose for it to happen 
to you or you could choose for it to happen for you. It's really a matter of perspective. And when you engage in certain things that you impose in your own accord that are hard, like even if it's not working out, even if it's climbing a mountain, even if it's, in, you know, doing a marathon or, uh, you know, uh, going into a marathon run or something like that, like something that is not comfortable for you, you know, even if it's talking to somebody that you don't like, maybe you hate this person, have a conversation with them because it will draw out things in you that you, you have to sit with yourself when you're having that conversation, that person, right? That you hate because you don't want to have it and you don't like their mouth. You don't like their face. You don't like anything they're saying. But at that moment, you're having to stay, you're having to put yourself in a different position to be able to continue that conversation and actually make it a good one. And that's hard. It's not easy, especially with someone like you don't like. That's just a little, anal- uh, that's just a, um, a small illustration, but the point is do things you don't want to do and do things that better you. Cause having that conversation with the person you don't like, it's going to better you. It's going to cause you to see that person maybe differently. And maybe you might form a friendship out of that conversation, doing something like lifting weights or climbing a rock or uh, going on a hike or going, uh, running a marathon, like doing these things that cause your body to go through pain and trial is something that can be, positive for the person i mean it develops competency that develops confidence i mean there's so many there's it's endless but when you stay stuck in an idle space or comfortable space then all you do is everything you've been doing and chances are you're probably unhappy doing those things which is the reason why you're in this state of lack or despair or whatever it is and you need to do things that better you as a human being just full stop I think that was so well said. And what I um what I think is so tough is that people like you or I potentially, we have that tendency, like once we start something hard, we get somewhat addicted to it. And then sometimes we can actually take that too far. And I think for someone with that inclination, it may also like something uncomfortable may also be taking a rest day. Or it may be, like you were saying, like having that uncomfortable conversation, even if you're usually inclined to, okay, they trigger me, I'm out, I'm going to head off, I don't like this, I, I'm going to do my own thing, instead of facing that. So I think uh, discomfort is different for everyone. And then on top of that, what I wanted to say is like, generally speaking, um, the way our society is set up, it's just it's splitting it's splitting us even more into those two groups like you know once once we have found okay we're we're going to do more hard things versus the other people that just are so sucked into that whole dopamine thing that whole doing nothing thing that where it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse i uh, just a few weeks ago um i went to the states for a visit um one of our coaches she got married it was lovely it was my first time being back in four years and in between um that time i have obviously traveled to many countries and for example here in colombia um, just day-to-day life, even though it's in the capital and that's reasonably modern, um, still everyday life, you walk to places. Things are not that convenient. You need to struggle a little bit, even like walking down the pavement, there are, there are potholes and whatever. <laughs> so like life is not 
just easy. So when I came to the States, even like I was staying with a friend and I wanted to walk her dog, there was no sidewalks. I couldn't walk um, or I went to the gym, went to the gym and I was going to meet up with her across the road at a Starbucks. I couldn't walk there because there was no pedestrian crossings. I had to drive seven minutes, like more or less in a circle to get there. And it just, it, it drove me insane. The line, the other thing that really stood out to me and like, I'm saying all these things, not with judgment, but simply like with, with empathy and understanding that the convenience life is what sucks people into. And probably, you know, if if, if I live there, I, I might just get that used to it as well. But the line for the drive through on the Starbucks was like three times as long as ordering inside or even walking inside and picking up your drink. Like, how hard is that? Ten steps. <laughs> but people would rather stay in their car. So I one million percent agree with what you're saying. So when when you're talking about this with your clients, um, how do you tackle that? Of course, they probably come to you in weight loss endeavors, perhaps, or I don't know if you also do mentorship for for other men or people in general. Um, what advice do you give them in terms of, great, we're starting with training. What are some other things that they can um, go off with and and start bulletproofing their mind? So training is the biggest thing, you know, having people do workouts and engage in exercise of some, of some, at some level, but it's really subjective. I have to meet the person where they're at and I can't, I mean, they're not, they're not a set non-negotiables that I have people go through. Uh, it looks different for everybody. So maybe, uh, I mean, maybe the, maybe a non-negotiable for somebody would be just getting a 20 minute walk in every day. Maybe a non-negotiable for somebody would be making their bed first thing in the morning. Maybe a non-negotiable would be um, making sure that they visit their parents twice a week at least. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, there's a wide array. It, it starts with fitness because you're working on you first and you're choosing to respect you first, which is by treating your body right, by moving, strength training, eating right, and, and doing those things that work in tandem with one another to actually build the best temple that you could. So it's, but it, but to answer your question, it is very subjective. I can't give a, a just a blanket statement of what I would do because I don't have that because I treat each person where they are. I actually love that. I mean, individualization is, is definitely the key. My question to you in regards to training first or all, some of the other examples you have given, is that what you mean when you say, building confidence through action, because that was another one of your sort of missions that I picked up from, um, you know, just look preparing for this podcast. And you were saying you, you want to teach people how to build confidence through action. Is that what you're referring to mostly? Yeah. Most people don't feel like they're of any contribution to the world or utility. And the reason for that is because they don't have anything that they're confident in. And the only way to develop confidence, the true way to develop confidence is by being competent in mm -hmm. something. So when you know that you're competent in something, you're automatically by default confident in that specific thing, right? So when you're confident, you change in posture, you change in energy, you just change overall. And other people can understand, other people can receive that. I mean, that's, that's what inherently you do by doing by first doing workouts or, or exercises, you 
are able to become more competent in that exercise, in that movement pattern, and then you're able to be a more confident as a result, not to mention what happens as a physical result of your efforts. So that's what I mean by developing confidence through competency, because competence breeds confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what's what's kind of a um, message within that is also that motivation is so overrated and it really comes from taking the action you you have to do stuff first have to embrace that discomfort and then you're feeling probably more motivated the next time but still it's probably still going to be hard it's kind of like with ice baths or whatever they're never going to be pleasant <laughs> so if we just wait for that time where like every, everything just becomes fun it's not going to happen even people like you or I who love to work out um you know there are days when we're just going through the motions or days where it probably even sucks so yeah taking like building that confidence and I think um maybe I don't know but correct me if I'm wrong especially with women also starting resistance training strength training is incredibly empowering like I never thought I could do a push-up um like growing up was always like oh I I obviously limiting belief I hate doing anything upper body I'm terrible at doing anything upper body even just from the language that's what I kind of would say And then after a while, I started and push-ups became one of my favorite all-time movements. It's like, oh, this is amazing. And you feel confident or when someone asks you, oh, can I help you lift your suitcase into that overhead compartment in the in the airplane? You're like, oh, no, I got it. Thanks. And, you know, it's it's it builds. It's 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 amazing. Do you see that with your own clients as well? All the time with the women clientele. They 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 say exactly what you say. They they want to do a push up. It's like a push up or a chin up is a is a is a is a um a, a definition of what they think strong is, and they are typically not strong upper body. Women are very strong lower body, but they're not very strong upper body. And I don't know if that's just hormonal. I don't know what what that has to do with, but that's what I've seen in my practice and for the length of time that I've been training and I've been training for, I don't know, the better half of since 2008, I've been personal training. So that that's exactly what I see with the women clientele. Now, the one thing I actually don't ever see with the men clientele is what the women want. Men have never came into me and they've told me, Hey, Justin, I want to be able to do a chin up. I want to be able to do one. I just want to be able to do one push up. And I think that's interesting because It's almost like men are required to be strong, whereas women aren't. So for a woman to go into that facet of, I can do something that I'm not even required of. Like I'm not, nobody's, nobody's looking at me thinking, can he, is she physically strong? Can she do a push up? How many push ups can she do? How many chimps can she do? But when they look at men, men are automatically in societies, in society and culture, we're automatically supposed to be strong. This is like a prereq. So we don't think to ourselves, oh, it'd be so great if I can do this push-up or chin-up. We have to do those push-ups or chin-ups. We have to, we have to already have, we have to already be capable to do those things. If not, we're going to be made fun of. We're going to be shamed by our peers. Like other men are going to look at us like we're pussies. So we have to do those things. It's like 
it's not it's not a it's not a uh, what's the word I would use? It's not an option. We we just have to be able to do that. And so men are already required to do those things. I mean, how many is a different story, right? But we should already men are already by nature supposed to be. We're already make we automatically have to be strong people and physically strong, not just mentally but physically. And so I've never had that happen to me, or rather asked that of me from the man's point of view. Like a man client has never asked me that or told me like that's a goal of mine, Justin, because it's almost already implicated that he should be able to do that already, you know. But yeah, women ask all the time, you know. I I I obviously never thought of it from that perspective, and actually the first thought that came up is that must be really hard having that pressure as a man to begin with, like as just a general assumption, because I could assume when you were 135 pounds, you probably, well, I guess you were so light that maybe you could pull yourself up easily, but you may not have had much upper body strength or body strength in general. So I, I can't imagine, I mean, I'm more aware of the um, maybe mental struggles that that men might be facing these days or even just in the sense of feeling oh i need to be the provider or or whatever and um, so i have more considered um that side of things but from a physical point of view i find that very interesting that you're pointing that out actually um and also of course interesting that no one's ever specifically asked you for that or no man has specifically asked you for that um, I do want to touch on some of the limit, limiting beliefs that I um, just um, mentioned earlier a little bit. I have had a ton. I probably still have a lot. Like I was saying, for me, a limiting belief was women are weak in terms of upper body strength. Uh, another limiting belief um, was are you, dieting needs to feel really hard or it's it's normal to get um, accumulate more body fat as we grow older. It's um, normal to hate your job. It's normal um, to be unhappy in a relationship most of the time. Those were like literally very, very deep health beliefs of mine that I carried along for a long time. And like you said, like society, it's societal influences or maybe from our upbringing, people around us, et cetera. Um, but yeah, particularly in weight loss, I am as a coach, I think we can, we learn to pick those up um, naturally after a while from our clients, even, even just in the way that they talk. I can't do X. I'm bad at Y. I, don't like doing this. This is hard. And like I hear that over and over, weight loss is hard. In my family, no one ever loses weight. Over the holidays, I always gain weight back, but, 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 like you name it. Um, where do we start with that when we become aware? Of course, awareness is usually the first step, but when we become aware of those limiting beliefs, how do we even tackle them? Because they're so much part of our identity. Yeah, so you need to understand that when I say you, I mean your the people that are listening. They need to understand that that's a low frequency state of mind, and if you're always relishing with the low frequency shit, then you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be accruing like minded things that are low frequency, and your brain is gonna search for that in your everyday life. So, if you're a low frequency or low vibrational person. You're going to attract low frequency people. You're going to attract low frequency opportunities. 
You're going to be in a less than state all the time, perpetually. But that is because you are setting your reality every single day. And that's the reality that you want to live in. If you don't want to live there, stop living in that hell. Get out of that low frequency state. Start doing things that better yourself. Start doing things that are productive. Start doing things that attract the right people in your life. Listen, you're that person because you want to be that person, period. I can't help anybody if they don't want to change. If they don't have a why as to why they want to change. I say to that person, fine, live there then. Live there, suffer, and die. If that's what you want to consistently promote and perpetuate, then it will continuously do just that. But if people want to become better, then I can give them resources to become better. I can give them reasons why they should be better. I can name one right here for everybody, your family. Do you want to be better for your family? How about start there? If you don't even want to be better for your family, there's no fucking saving you. You have to at least want to be better for other people, if not yourself. And I know this about people working with them for years and years through the means of fitness. If there's not something as a, if there's not a, a reason to change, they won't change. And typically that reason has to be external from them because people don't change for themselves often. People change for others all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And like you said, like families tend to be a, an incredibly great motivator. Um, the tricky part <clears throat> I would like I would um, enter there is that sometimes um, we think we're already doing so much for our family. So what I mean by that is, for example, the busy um, wife that's thrown the household mostly and working and whatever, or, you know, it might be the husband as well. It doesn't really matter, but you're like, I have no time to work out because I'm doing all these things for my family. I'm getting up, I'm doing, um, preparing lunch for everyone. I'm getting up, I'm doing the tidying, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically they, they stuff their day full with chores. They think they need to be done for the family and so I I often find that clients have a hard time justifying taking the, the time for themselves in order to better themselves, in order to be a better them for the family. But initially, like getting through to them, to that message, um, I think is hard because subconsciously they're thinking they're already doing so much for their family. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Lisa, but... I do. But at the same time, it's because they don't place a priority on it. So if they're not finding 30 minutes out of their day to carve out a, a moment to themselves to work out with at their home with dumbbells that I'm sure you are more than capable of providing them a workout routine around, then they don't care. That's what I'm getting at. They just don't care. They're not. There is not one mom that I've ever came across in life, even with eight kids. I deal with people that have eight kids. They can find time. They can find 30 minutes to carve out in their day to put a routine or to, to structure around a routine or workout routine. It's a matter of if they want it enough or not. And most people don't care. They don't care enough. They don't care to put it as a priority. They don't. And most of that is because they don't understand what can come from it. They don't know what you and I feel. 
They don't know. They haven't been living this life for months or years. They haven't been living it for a, a, for a, for a week. So they don't understand what working out can do to their, not only their psychology, but their physiology and just the physical representation of them. They don't understand it yet. So because they don't understand it, they don't put enough precedence around it. And because of that, they don't make it a priority. But if they understood what you and I understand, they would put it at the top. They would cart out 30 minutes non-negotiably throughout every single day of their life to put in that workout routine. So getting somebody to that, getting someone there to that point and making them understand that this is going to be worth it. You just have to trust what I'm saying and carve out this time and make it a party. If you want to be better, look, Susan, if you want to be better, this is what you do to be better. This is a tried and true process. It's not something that's nuanced. I didn't just, I didn't, I didn't curate this process. It's not proprietary. This is something that everybody should be doing that makes everybody better it will work for you, Susan. Just do it. And if you are a priority and if your family is a priority and you being your best for your family is a priority, then you will do it. You will at least trust me to do this for 30 days. Understand that in 30 days, you will have a newfound affinity for this thing because you will see the positive ramifications that come from it. I hope everyone really, really takes that in because I think that's so important. I think what is on top of um the I guess maybe not caring enough about it, um we're we're kind of taking it full circle with being back in that comfort zone because you're you're probably you have that routine right now, as you were saying, and breaking out of a routine, changing anything about our routine change in general most people don't like. So yes, I one hundred percent want to underline that and hope that. Um, someone that really comes through to someone and, and makes them realize I too can and want to take 30 minutes a day for myself in order to be there, be the best version of myself for my family. Um, one last question. I know we've covered a lot of um, awesome things and hopefully people can take something away from this, but I'm very curious why the name of your podcast is Straight from the Chest. <laughs> how did you get I mean obviously the meaning is is clear but how did you get there and why was that that name important enough to you to choose it as the name of your podcast you know I can't give credit to the name I didn't think of the name I actually did a podcast with a friend of mine this is how I got into podcasting uh, about I don't know it's probably eight eight years ago I did a podcast on his show and it was the first time I was ever in introduced to podcasting the podcasting world in general And I just came on there and I said what I wanted to say. And, and I, I just, there was, it was, it was real. It was uncut. It was raw and it was just unfiltered. And, and I, and he knew me from years prior, but during that podcast, he, he saw that there was something that was being said that maybe he thought more people could be, could, could use. And that's what was the impetus behind me starting the podcast. And I said, and shout out to his name, Ramon Campamore. And Ramon said, I said, look, Ramon, what do I call the podcast, man? Like, I don't, I don't even know what to, he's the one that set me up with, you know, the entire recording process, what mic to buy, everything. Right. And it, I, I was looking for a name when I was, when, when we were, uh, we were putting it together and he said, how about straight from the chest? And I, and I said, okay. 
I mean, he said, cause every, cause what you say is just from your chest. That's what I think of when I, when, when we were doing the podcasts, um, there were, when we were recording on my podcast, he just come from the chest, man. So that can sometimes get me in trouble, Lisa, but at the same time, it's what, it's the only way that I can authentically operate. And when I'm authentically operating, I'm in flow state. And when I'm in flow state, I'm dangerous. And the only way that anybody can be dangerous is if they're authentically themselves and they're on you know, you've heard that term unapologetically, unapologetically authentic or whatever that term is. You have to be that in order for you to be your best in order for you. That's also a component of being your best understanding who you really are. Right? So if we are, understanding of who we really are and we are unapologetic about it and we then we become more confident and with and we we divulge with so much more authority and we get into a flow state where we become dangerous individuals and when i say dangerous i mean that in the sense of we become an authority we become convicted in what we're saying and that penetrates people in ways that it wouldn't otherwise if we were just merely talking it changes the tonality in our octave level it changes our expressions with our eyes with our faces we with our hand gestures and that is a thing that gets us to be compelling and captivating to others and that's how you actually incite change Authentic. or i would say that's how you, that's how you ignite change Yes, and unapologetically, authentically yourself. I I love that, and I want to believe very believe very deeply that this is why AI is not going to work in the coaching industry or whatever. Because I truly believe people can sense if someone is yeah. authentic, is a hundred percent them. So, yeah, thank you so much for explaining that, for um, sharing your wisdom with us as well. And um, I will <clears throat> drop all your socials in the show notes, but if you want to uh, point people into the right direction where they can follow you if they don't live in LA or not LA, in California. Yeah. So if you want to get in contact with me or you want to follow me, you can follow me on my social media handle, which is Justin Craig Groth. That's no spaces or underscores. It's just a straight Justin Craig Groth. And then if you want to listen to podcasts, we're on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And that's called Straight from the Chest. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me via email, you can do that through justingroth at gmail.com. Or you can do it on my website, which is the official justingroth.com. I know a lot of different... <laughs> handles to go off of but um the best way to get a hold of me probably if you want coaching if you want mentorship through either training or if you're an actual personal trainer and you need mentorship um you can get a hold of me through my contact uh handle on instagram awesome thank you so much thank you for your time it's been a pleasure thank you for tuning in if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe leave a review or share the episode on social very much appreciated You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.